Well, good morning, Faith Church. It's good to see everybody. Welcome to church. You're not excited to be at church. I hope you're not excited to hear me, but maybe to hear a word from the Lord. And you can go ahead and be seated. If you clap too long, your expectations are going to get too high. And uh, we are thrilled that you are here and it's excited. I'm excited to be here. It's an honor to be here. And uh, I, I love this house. You ever been to a house that's just funner than other houses? You ever seen a kid who's been raised by two fun parents? The kid who gets to wear pajamas to school? Uh, in this house, uh, you guys serve the dessert before you serve the, the real meal, right? And uh, that's what happened on Friday night. You guys got the dessert. And I don't even know if I'm the main course. I, I feel like I'm, I'm cheap calamari. I'm the, I'm the appetizer. But in this house, they, they serve the dessert first. And it's just been an honor to, to be here, be with your church, and uh, to see the, the garden take place. And what an amazing, amazing event. Can we just celebrate again all the women, leadership? Uh, amazing to see it. And man, I love your church. Uh, and whether you are in the building, whether you are online, whether you are at Lawrenceburg, uh, we just, we pray for you often. And, and we thank God for you almost daily. Uh, that whether you know it or not, what you think is normal is not normal. And, and you guys are a, a beacon of hope. Uh, I mean, you are a breath of fresh air. You are an inspiration and a model and an example uh, for churches all around the country. And as a pastor, uh, I, I just want to thank you personally. Thank you for sharing your pastor. That you guys may not see it, you may not be even fully aware of it, but week in and week out, your pastors pastor pastors around the country. And uh, it is a gift to not only a lot of pastors, uh, but it's a gift to a pastor like me. And uh, we, we love, love Pastor Steve and Shauna and uh, just thankful for their friendship. Can we just honor the pastors who God has appointed over this house? Uh, like uh, Pastor Steve said, my wife Kristen and I, uh, we are from Minneapolis, Minnesota. We get the pastor of church there, which we've been there for 10 years. And for the past 10 years, anytime we'd say we're from Minneapolis, people would be like, oh, Minneapolis is great. Now we're in a unique season where we say, oh, we're from Minneapolis. And people are like, ooh, right? <laughs> like, what is that like, right? Come to find out, Rock Bottom has a basement. <laughs> And uh, we are loving life in Minneapolis, and you should know, despite what you see in the media, God is still on the throne. The church continues to move forward, amen, that the gospel may not always be a popular message, but it will forever be a powerful message, amen. And uh, in Minneapolis, we have this thing uh, called covid which being down here in Alabama, I, doesn't seem like it's made its way down here quite yet. Uh, but up in Minnesota, we have to wear masks everywhere. And uh, we, uh, I found it fascinating when uh, COVID started playing out in our city. Uh, there was a big debate and discussion about wearing masks to church. Uh, a lot of Christians were upset about this. I told our congregation, Christians have been wearing masks to church from the very beginning. This is just what Christians do, right? Oh, come on, that's funny. If you can't laugh at that, your halo is too tight. You better loosen up that halo. That, that's just funny. Like, but in all reality, I believe the church ought to be the most honest place on the planet. The church ought to be that place where you can just come as you are, right? You can just come with all your junk in the trunk and all your brokenness and all your, your flaws, and you can just lay them 
Come on, at the feet of Jesus, amen. That is, that is the beauty of a of space like this, amen. And I am just honored uh, to get to share a word with you today. And I, I've entitled this message, Grow Up. Someone say, Grow Up. Look at your neighbor and say, grow up, which I get the sense I just did someone in Lawrenceburg a favor. They showed up to church frustrated with the person they arrived with, and they've been wanting to say it. Pastor just gave them license, grow up. And here's the reality. We hear that as a dig. We hear that with a tone. We hear that as some form of disrespect, but in all reality, it's a word of encouragement when you hear it from the, from the filter of Scripture. That when you go through the pages of Scripture, God is he's prompting us. He's moving us. He's, he's tapping on our heart, and he's whispering within our soul, you were created for more. That I've deposited more in you. I have greater things in store for you. Would you trust me, and would you grow? Would you grow in stature? Would you grow in confidence? Would you grow in your giftedness? Would you grow in self-awareness and this understanding that you are a child of God, that you have been positioned where you're at on purpose, for a purpose, that there are unique things that God seeks to do in and through your life? And would you lean in with some expectation? Would you lean in with some anticipation of God might do it in my life? I mean, God might show up and do the unthinkable. I believe he can. My question is, is do you believe he can? Do you believe that the God of the Bible is still living and active and still on the throne and still hyperproductive in each and every one of our lives? I, I am convinced of it. And I find that in my life over time, no matter what you go through, you just taste the goodness of God. In fact, sometimes I find that it's even in the seasons of pain, the seasons of confusion, that you find that God is most productive. I wonder how many of you, you're in a season where, yeah, it's coming with some pain, but it's also coming with some clarity. It's also reinforcing some confidence because in this season, you are experiencing your theology in a way you've never experienced it before. I mean, ultimately, that's what prayer is, right, church? Prayer is asking God to experience our theology. God, I know you heal people. God, I know you can restore this marriage. God, I know that your hand is on my child. God, I know you have a plan for my life. God, I know I can overcome this addiction. God, I know you can heal our city. God, I know you still have a plan for our nation. I believe it, and God, I am asking, and I am leveraging my faith, and I am operating in confidence that you are going to allow me to experience my theology. And I believe some of you, you're either in that season or you're stepping into that season. Some of you, you're a Christian and you should know, even if you've been a Christian for 30 years, there's more to God. In this journey, all you find is with every season you discover he's, he's bigger, he's brighter, and he's better. And once you think you have him figured out, then you, you step into another season, you realize he's, he's bigger, and he's brighter, and he's better. And I pray that someone here today discovers the God that we serve, he's beyond your comprehension. He truly is 
an outstanding God. And if you're not a Christian, I pray you bump into that reality. I pray you bump into that reality. Now, I got to lay some context theologically. It's going to be a lot of information coming your way. And we're going to try to keep the, the cookies on the bottom shelf so everybody can reach. Uh, but there is a theological misconception in the church world. There's a bad theology, and it's, it's shown its way and, and shown itself in how we approach faith and how we reproduce our faith. Okay, so your faith, track with me, breaks down into three stages. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. Someone say, run it back. So justification, sanctification, and glorification. Now, here's the easy way to understand it. Justification is freedom from the penalty of sin. This is when you receive your salvation. This is when you are you know, receive grace, you are justified, meaning that you are now in Christ, right? In the same way we are now in this building, when people drive by, they don't see you, they see this building because we are in this building. Do you get what I'm saying? You are now in Christ. So when God looks at you, he sees Jesus, to be justified means that when God looks at you, he views you just as if I never sinned. Justified. Just as if I never sinned. You are, you are freed from the penalty of sin. And some of you, you're, you're carrying around baggage. You're carrying around shame. You're carrying around all these unhealthy, unproductive thoughts and feelings. You have subscribed to a life of self-deprecation where you are insulting the product of a great manufacturer and it's recognizing no grace robbed me of my shame. And that's what I love about this church. This church exists not to place shame on the people, but to get shame off of people. And if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are freed from the penalty of sin. Justification church, it happens in a moment. It happens in a moment of surrender. God, I give it all to you. And then that triggers the next phase of your life, which is sanctification. Justification is freedom from the penalty of sin. Sanctification is freedom from the power of sin. And sanctification will take the rest of your life. And if you're not dead, God's not done. God still has more to do in and through your life. And what happens, and here's the misconception, we try to turn churches into spiritual microwaves. But how many of you guys know food is better out of the oven? My mom cooked with a crock pot. Food will be ready in eight hours. But it's better. And some of you have taken on a pressure within your faith to accelerate your spiritual growth. And it's just recognizing this is a journey that will take the rest of your life. Sanctification is freedom from the power of sin. Ultimately, when you take your last breath and you step into eternity, you step into glorification, which is freedom from the presence of sin, where there is no sickness and there is no disease and there is no wickedness and there is no brokenness, that there is eternity in perfection and in full harmony with our heavenly father. 
I mean, that is outstanding. Glorification, justification, they happen in a moment. Sanctification will take the rest of your life. And my prayer is some of you, well, you think this process is frustrating. And my prayer is that you'll discover that this process is fulfilling. My God is good and he's with me and he's for me and he's done the unthinkable on behalf of me. And I just wanna stay in step with him, amen? I wanna talk to you about sanctification. I want to talk to you about growing in this stature. Because some of you, you gave your life to Christ and then you realize the next day, sin is still tempting. Because some of you were lied to the same way I was lied to. I was growing up in the church and people had me convinced that sinning would be a terrible experience. Then I found out sometimes it's fun. Yeah, you're not there yet. You don't want to co-sign to anything too early, right? But have you ever found that Satan is too, he's too smart to entice us with something that we would think is atrocious. So he does it gradually. And church, here's what you have to understand. Faith may not improve things immediately, but a lack of faith will impair things gradually. Faith may not improve things immediately, but a lack of faith, it will impair things gradually. It'll take you farther than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And it'll cost you more than you want to pay. It's just saying, I am, I am not going to be enticed by the things of this world, but I am going to live anchored to this God that I serve. And that's what Peter would at one point sit down and try to articulate in a, some of his letters. Now, if you're new to church, and maybe you have some objections about the Christian faith. Or maybe you don't feel like you could fit into a group like this. You need to get to know Peter. You want to have a friend who just boosts your confidence? Right? That friend who you run into at the store in their pajamas and you're like, I just love how you'll wear anything anywhere. Right? Like, <laughs> Peter is that friend who just gives you more confidence. I mean, at times he just can't get it right. I mean, he is, you know, at times miscalculated, puts his foot in his mouth. At one time, he even tries to correct Jesus. Jesus turns around and tells him what? Get behind me, Satan. Ooh, like Jesus called him Satan. Like this guy was clumsy in his faith. Anyone ever feel clumsy in your faith? Feel like you're, you're growing. Sometimes it's clunky. Sometimes it's natural. And other times you're confused. That was Peter's story. And he just stuck with it. And he stumbled into the goodness and the greatness of God. And God used him in mighty ways. And I promise you, God will do the same in your life. And so Peter, he, he writes this letter. In 1 Peter, in chapter 1, he's, he's talking about we have this living hope. Not a dead hope. Not an archaic hope. Not a hope that simply was contained and left in a region called Galilee. No, our hope is locally grown. Come on, someone say support local. Like I don't need to go to Jerusalem to encounter it. 
I can encounter the Spirit of God in my life right here, right now, on a Sunday morning in a place like this. I mean, I have a living hope. I experience God in my life. And He loves all of us. Get this, church. He loves all of us as if there was only one of us. I mean, have you ever just been amazed by how attentive God is to you? How thoughtful? I mean, how in tuned? The fact that he goes so far out of his way to engage with your, your thought process and where you are at emotionally, that he cares about your marriage and he's, he's concerned about your career, that he's looking out for your kids and going with you to the hospital. He loves all of us as if there was only one of us. Again, he's, church, he's bigger, he's brighter, and he is better than anything this world has to offer. Peter's saying, we have this living hope. My God is alive and well, seated on a throne, high and lifted up, and the spirit of God resides within my life. I have this confidence. So in chapter two, verse one through eight, or one through seven, he says this, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave uh, pure spiritual milk so that by it, here it is, you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. And I wonder how many of you call yourself a Christian, but, well, you're not confident in his goodness. I mean, have you tasted that the Lord is good? I grew up, people used to say, the proof is in the pudding. And I disagreed with that. I think the proof in the pudding is in the tasting. Chocolate pudding looks like a lot of things. <laughs> right? The only way to tell the difference is to taste it. Only way to tell the difference between this God and all the generic ones out there is to taste and see that the Lord is good, that he is unparalleled, that he is unmatched, and he is the only, one and only God, amen? Taste and see that the Lord is good, and I pray that some of you would, would taste his goodness. He goes on to tell us in verse 4, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in, Christ, in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. He draws a distinction. Guys, there's two different realities. The reality experienced by those who believe and the reality experienced by those who don't believe. And here's what you have to understand. Being a Christian being a follower of Christ doesn't make us better than anyone. It just makes us better off. 
Being a Christian doesn't make us better than anyone. It just makes us better off because here's the reality. If you are a Christian, life as we know it, as tough as it may be, as confusing as it is at times, as painful as it is at times, if you are a Christian, life as we know it is as close to hell as you'll ever be. But if you're not a Christian, life is confusing, life is trying, life is painful, but this is as close to heaven as you'll ever be. I mean, this is why we anchor our hope, our identity, our eternal security. It is that I have forgiveness of my sins. I have peace within my heart. I have a purpose for living. I have a home in heaven. I'm not better than anyone. I'm just better off because of the goodness of my God. Amen. That's what I want someone to bump into. And I love it because Peter runs the gamut with all these metaphors. You ever been fascinated by the metaphors in scripture? I feel like it's God's agenda to stir the imagination of his children. And what he's doing is he's trying to get us to think broader, think wider, think bigger. That as Christians, we ought to live with a wild imagination as to what God can do, amen? And so sometimes when you change the metaphor, it changes the imagination. It makes you think of it differently. Peter starts out and He says, when you come to Christ, you're like a newborn baby. And in scripture, there's a distinct distinction. At times, we are called to focus on childish behaviors. And at other times, we're called to focus on childlike behaviors. Massive difference between being childish and childlike. In scripture, when it talks about being childish, it's talking about being immature, it's taking on worldly living, being unproductive and irresponsible. That is childish. But when it talks about being childlike, it's saying, hey, I live with my eyes wide open. I live with a boldness and an excitement. I believe that I'm just getting started. And I believe I can run into the arms of my father whenever I want. That's what separates Christianity from any other major world religion. This is what separates the gospel from religion, which is what some of you are subscribing to. Religion says, I made a mistake. My dad's going to kill me. The gospel says, I made a mistake. I need to call my dad. That's a big difference. Put off childish ways, but don't lose your childlike wonder. I know I can run to this God, this father of mine, whenever I'm in need, and he says, at first you're like a a newborn baby. And sometimes in the church world, it's a tragedy because we despise the infancy in our faith. And has me thinking about the season of life that we're in. Krista and I, we have four kids, 11, 9, 8, and then three. We had a little bit of a surprise. That's what you get for going home for lunch on a Tuesday. And um, now we have Presley Monroe, who is now, she just turned three. And I can't wait for the day to see her thrive in her dreams. I can't wait for the day to see her out there playing sports and the day that she graduates high school, the day that she 
She goes off to college and establishes herself in a career. She's going to be like her mom, so she's going to be fierce and independent and driven. And I can't wait for the day to see her thriving in those seasons. But I'm loving, I'm loving this season. And I think sometimes we despise the stage of faith that we're in. And your heavenly father's like, I'm loving this season with you. I'm not in a hurry. I'm not trying to check you off my to-do list. You are my child and I love you. We'll get to that when it comes. But could you just enjoy this moment as much as I'm enjoying this moment? You know, because here's the deal. At some point, I read this, that when you pick up your baby, there comes a point where you put them down for the last time. I'm not ready for that moment. I feel like we're going to go out in the hallway and see someone carrying around their 27-year-old. Like, this is, my, this is my baby, right? I don't want to let him down. But it's recognizing that God is more concerned with the strength of your growth than he is with the speed of your growth. And as Christians, we need to align ourselves with the heart of God. Otherwise, what we do is we put on premature pressure onto people in their faith. This ain't a spiritual microwave. I mean, churches specialize in infancy, birth, to death and life, right? I mean, we span the spectrum. We cover it all. We're not in a hurry to check people off. God is more concerned with the strength of your growth than he is with the speed of your growth. Scripture says his grace is sufficient. It doesn't say his grace is efficient, right? He's not efficient at all. He'll take the rest of your life to gradually get it right. And, and so Peter wants us to know that, hey, over time, you, you grow in your stature. And then he starts to shift the metaphors. I'm gonna hit you with them quickly. But he first starts out and he says, before you know it, you grow into this spiritual house. Before you know it, you're able to, to inhabit the presence of God in your life. Before you know it, you're able to facilitate the spirit of God working in you and through you. And before you know it, you're able to discern God's will in your life. You give your life to Christ and at first it's clunky and it's confusing and then you start to gain some understanding. Before you know it, you're disciplined in God's ways. You discover God's, you're disciplined in God's word. You discover God's ways and you're able to discern God's will. I mean, it's really not as complicated as us Christians try to make it. I think we try to overcomplicate things as a way of justifying our disobedience. Too much, too soon, right? Because what happens is, is we want to focus on the special will of God and overlook the general will of God. When you discipline yourself in God's word, you'll discover his ways. And as you begin to live in his ways, it becomes fairly easy to discern his will. I don't know what college God wants you to go to, but I do know he wants you to forgive your mom. I don't know if you should start the business, 
but I do know that you should love your neighbor. I, I don't know if you should ask her to marry you. She might be crazy. <laughs> but I do know that God has called you to a life of generosity. I don't know the special will of God, but I do know the general will of God. And it's not until you grow in your confidence of the general will of God that it becomes easier and easier to discern the special will of God for your life. So you become the spiritual house and you can discern the will of God. God's not trying to confuse you. He's not trying to confuse you. And then he says, you become a royal priesthood. He like flips it on us. You go from a house to a priesthood. And this would have dropped the original audience on their ear. Like, wait a second. We were used to showing up in tabernacles where only the priest did the work of God. So all throughout the Old Testament, people would show up and church in many ways was a spectator sport. I'm here to spectate, not to participate. Peter's like, no, no. Jesus Christ on the cross, resurrection from the grave, the spirit of God on Pentecost, it changed the game. Yeah. Now we don't show up to spectate. We get to participate. That's right. And now every single one of us are royal in our priesthood, that there is a priestly mantle on your life. And so the first stage, you discern the will of God. Before you know it, you start to do the work of God. You just start to do his work. You start to participate with him. You get to be a part of the story. And anyone amazed that God invites us to be a part of his story? It is outstanding. And it's growing in our competency. You know, Abraham Maslow's has this competency grid. It has four levels. And the base level, he calls it incompetent incompetency. No, unconscious incompetency. In other words, at first, you don't even know it. You're unaware of your inability, right? Like a kid who's born doesn't know they can't talk, doesn't know they can't read, doesn't know they can't ride a bike. They're unconscious of their inability. The second stage is what he calls conscious incompetence. Before you know it, I'm aware that I lack some ability, right? The third stage is what he calls conscious competence. I'm aware and I have to put some effort into it and I have to will it at times and I have to think about it, but I can do it. But he says over time you arrive at a place that he refers to as unconscious competence. I don't even have to think about it. I don't have to force it. I don't have to plan it. It's in my nature. I just do the work of God, amen? But then he ends with this. And he says, and then you become a living sacrifice. Before you know it, it's like, I'll surrender it all. I will give it all to this God. I'll give it all. My only challenge with that is I think Peter has bad grammar. I think sometimes in the church world, we misuse words. I think when Peter says sacrifice, I, I agree with him. Sacrifice is giving up something you love for something you love more. But I still don't know if the word is appropriate. Because if 
what you give is less than what you gain. That's not a sacrifice. That's a profit. If what you give is less than what you gain, it's not a sacrifice. That's a profit. Jesus was once teaching in his own home and it tells that there was a, a level of disrespect and content around Jesus. Sometimes the mark of a truly great leader is being taken for granted. People who are consistently great are often taken for granted. So Jesus leaves town and, and there's a statement in scripture that says he was a prophet without honor in his own home. Prophet as far as P-R-O-P-H-E-T. He was a prophet without honor in his own home. And sometimes I wonder within the house of God if he remains a prophet, P-R-O-F-I-T, without honor in his own home. See, what happens is, is over time you go from discerning God's will to doing God's work to discovering God's worth. And you just realize, oh my goodness, he's, he is outstanding. He's so much more than I could ever comprehend. He's, he's bigger, he's better, he's brighter. He loves me deeply. He cares for me consistently. I mean, he is brilliant and he's creative. He is powerful and he is mighty. He's a wonderful counselor. He's a gracious God. He's the Prince of Peace. He's my rock and my redeemer. He's my shield. He's my reward. He's the great I am. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the lamb of God. He's the lion of Judah. I mean, he's all of it and some of you you lack praise because you haven't appraised your God the reason why you're not praising God like you see others praising God is because you haven't accurately appraised your God he is outstanding Peter's like what happens is over life is you just discover He's unmatched. He's amazing. He's my best friend. He's my shepherd. He's all of it. This God is, there is no God like our God. And I will give my life to this God. Church, true spiritual maturity isn't being able to discern God's will. It's not being able to do God's work. It's being able to discover God's worth. So I end with this, Jesus once spelling out a parable. He said, you know, the kingdom of God is like a man who was making his way through a field and he found a treasure and he went and sold everything he had and he bought the field. In Jesus' day and age, there was this public policy. Sounds a lot like something we had on the playground in kindergarten. And the policy was finders, keepers, losers, weepers. You ever grew up with that policy? That was actually the standard of the day. So people would have heard this story and they're like, wait a second, Jesus, like he doesn't have to buy the field. If he found the treasure, the treasure's his. And Jesus is like, exactly. This man sells everything he has and he buys the field. Ultimately, what 
Jesus is stirring our mind for is this guy realizes there's no way I can afford this treasure. But I can afford to treasure it. I can't afford this treasure. And this is just an empty field. But the treasure that I found here is so amazing, it makes me love the field. And that's why this church is filled with some of the most generous people you will ever meet. Because it's in a space like this that they discovered a treasure they can't afford and they've just committed to now treasuring it. Some of you, God healed your marriage here. Many of you, you gave your life to Christ right here. Some of you were healed of cancer here. Overcame addiction here. Met a spouse here. Seen a family restored here. Discovered your purpose here. And you start to realize, wow, the treasure that I have in Jesus. I can't afford this treasure, but I can afford to treasure it. So I'm going to give generously. I'm going to serve faithfully. I'm going to attend regularly. And I am going to pray fervently because I can afford to treasure what I've discovered here. Amen. That's my prayer for you. Will you stand to your feet and let me pray with you? Again, whether you're in the room online or at, or at Lawrenceburg, this God of ours is remarkable. I pray you taste and see of his goodness, amen. Let me pray with you. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for you truly are outstanding. More than we deserve, more than we could ever earn, yet you are fully available and you lean into every aspect of our life. Thank you for walking with us gradually. Thank you for helping us overcome the trials of this life and to thrive in this faith. Thank you for your grace that is sufficient. Thank you for your son on a cross. Thank you for being bigger, better, and brighter than anything we could ever comprehend. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.